0: Well, what a horrible Easter. People in social isolation, people fearing and people afraid of death. No people in attendance in places like this. Such an alone feeling, all of that. Am I talking about this Easter? Well, actually, I'm talking about the very first one. When you think about the disciples, where were they? Social isolation, I think we'd say. Scared to death. Afraid that they would be the next ones to be arrested or crucified. When you think about what Jesus had prophesied, I mean, it's all through the Old Testament, and it's also in Jesus' own words to his disciples in the New. I must go to Jerusalem. I must be arrested. I must suffer many things. I must be put to death, and I'll be raised on the third day. How many times did he have to tell them? And yet it must have been the most disappointing thing from a human standpoint... To have the most powerful event that uh, the world would ever know. The resurrection of the son of God and the stone is rolled away and there's nobody there to meet him. There's nobody there to see it. There's nobody gathered in faith. There's nobody gathered in expectation. And so when I think about what we are going through and facing now, I think what we've kind of been here before. And it reminds us that our hope is not in a holiday. And our hope is not in crowds. Our hope is not in Easter baskets or Easter bunnies. I hope not. Our hope is not in getting together as a family. Our hope is not in any of those things. Because today, even though everything has changed, one thing remains the same. And that is we serve a risen Savior. And so our celebration today is not so much... An event that is on the calendar is it it is a person who is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And I'm going to read a text that I've never preached from on Easter. But it's special and it seems to be appropriate for the times in which we live. There's hope and the hope is in Jesus Christ. And the book of Hebrews in chapter 2 will begin at verse 14. Puts it like this. Inasmuch then... As the children have a uh, have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, meaning Christ, likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed... He does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted... He is able to aid those who are tempted. Are you a person that is made of flesh and blood? Then this passage is for you. Are you a sinner? Then this passage is for you. Do you need someone to represent you before God? Then this passage is for you. Do you need help in everyday life because it's so easy to fall into sin? then this passage is for you. Do you need victory and do you need hope in your life? Then this passage is tailor-made for you. And the reason this passage came to mind is because in this present circumstance in which we find ourselves, people are scared to death that they're going to get some pestilence and they're going to die. It's natural to fear death. It's natural to have a survival instinct. In fact, there's a God-given part of that. That's why we don't walk out in front of cars. That's why we don't drink poison. That's why we don't do those types of things. That's why we fight so hard to stay alive. If you've ever watched anyone die. Even in the most peaceful of circumstances, it seems as though the body is made and the brain is wired to survive as long as possible, as long as possible. Keep breathing, keep the heart beating, keep the blood flowing. That's just the way that we're made. And because of this, this passage tells us that the main weapon that the devil used and uses is the fear of death we're terrified of death I think it's interesting and Pastor John MacArthur in California pointed this out with the coronavirus that mainly attacks older people we are going to great lengths even to the point of maybe wrecking the economy to keep old people alive while at the same time babies are being murdered in their mother's wombs every day it's ironic isn't it and yet As President Reagan said, those who are in favor of abortion, he noticed, have already been born. I mean, we don't want to have anything happen to us. But if it's someone we can't see and someone we don't have to think about, then we don't really worry much about it. But for us, there's a fear of death. For us... We have been controlled. Societies are controlled. You can go to nations in the world today, and the way that they control their population is not merely through laws or court decisions. But there are places today in this world where people are afraid that their government will execute them without a trial, without any due process, and without any crime being committed just because of what they think or because of what they might believe or because of what they might say or even in some cases for what they might not say. Early Christians would be brought before a Roman soldier and they were commanded to confess that Caesar is Lord and they couldn't say that. And they would be executed for what they didn't say. Many of them would go ahead and say that Caesar is not Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. And they would be executed for what they did say. But nonetheless, what was it that the government was trying to do back then? What was it that the government did in places like Nazi Germany... ...or in the Soviet Union or in Cuba or even in China today? What is it? It is the fear of death. And why could the church not be stopped? Why was it that an early church father said... That the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. That doesn't make any sense, does it? Until you read this passage. And you find that for the world, the devil uses the fear of death to control, to manipulate, to enslave people. And for the Christian, what happened? We're released from the fear of death. Oh, it's not that I want to die. It's not that we have a death wish. It's just that we know that to be absent from the body... ...is to be present with the Lord. One man held up a convenience store... ...and he pulled a gun upon a young girl that was behind the counter... ...and told her to give him the money and all of that... ...and she just smiled at him. And he said, don't you know I could kill you at any moment? And she said these words, sudden death, sudden glory. He ran out of the convenience store... ...and later was arrested, put in prison... And he actually became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. What was it that got a hold of him? What was it that caused him to change his mind about everything? The testimony of a girl who was probably an older teenager who wasn't afraid to die. What is it that really changed the culture in the early church? People were not afraid to die. We understand sudden death, sudden glory. We understand that whether it's a virus or whether it's a car accident or whether it's cancer, whether it's a heart attack, whatever it might be, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, how can we think about those kind of things? And this is what really we ought to be celebrating today, these four things. Number one, we don't celebrate because we can get together with family. That's fine. I'm all for getting together with family. I miss my family and I miss my grandkids. You can understand that. But I can celebrate in spite of that. Why? Because, and this would be the first thing we say uh, out of this passage, celebrate the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Starting in verse 14, as we read down through there, it tells the story about God becoming flesh. He partook of flesh and blood like we uh, have partaken of flesh and blood. He became like us. And the reason he did that is because he had to die in order for our sins to be forgiven. But friend, God can't die. A God who lives, a God who is life, a God who give, gives life, how in the world does he die? The Bible also says that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. But if you and I shed our blood, that doesn't do any good because we're sinners. But God, being the only one who is perfect, had to shed his blood for us. Now, how is he going to do that? Because Jesus came down out of heaven into the womb of a virgin. And there he lived for that nine months of gestation. And then he was born and he was placed into a manger in Bethlehem. And this little baby grew up to become a man, the perfect man, the God-man, who would live a perfect life, who went about doing good, who showed us the Father... And then he was crucified, the innocent, on behalf of the guilty. And the blood poured out of his body, that body that God had made for him. And then, after he had borne the wrath of God to pay for our sins, he says, it is finished. And then he says, Father, into your hands... I commend my spirit this is what we talk about on a day like today this is what we celebrate really every single Sunday Jesus died for our sins because he God became flesh for us bore the penalty for our sin and then rose from the dead so every Sunday is an Easter Sunday isn't it every Sunday is a resurrection Sunday and we celebrate in the hope of the gospel Those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ will be saved. Those who believe that Jesus paid the penalty for their sin, they will have their sin removed and the record book will be clean because it will have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We're not commanded to get that from a church or to get that from a ritual. I know it's sad that we can't be in church on Easter. But at the same time, coming to church on Easter does not get us to heaven. It does not get us closer to God. It's a wonderful thing. But the atonement was paid 100% by Jesus Christ. This one who the Bible says put on flesh. And he put it on there so he could suffer and he could die for us. So we celebrate the gospel. Now secondly, we can celebrate our liberation. Because the Bible says that Jesus who did this, he did this so that he could, and here's the exact words, release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. We don't have to fear death anymore. Death has been conquered by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He came forth out of that tomb regardless of what the devil would want to do. Now, some people have the idea that the devil was, you know, opening up a fifth of Jack Daniels and throwing a party and thinking that having Jesus on the cross dying, that that was his victory. I don't believe that for a second. The devil knew the prophecies. The devil knew what it was that Jesus himself had said about being raised on the third day. In fact, Even the Pharisees and the Sadducees wanted the tomb sealed and guarded. Why? Because they were terrified that the disciples would steal the body and then try to pull off the hoax of the resurrection. Remember that? Well, I think there was more than just they were afraid about the disciples. I think what those men were expressing was the fear of Satan and his demons, of the truth of the resurrection prophesied in the Old Testament and in the new, and by Jesus himself. And I think if we could have seen the tomb that day, we would have seen the devil on guard with his demons, saying, do not let life come into that body. And oh, what a sight that must have been when Jesus was raised from the dead. And he is the conqueror of death, of hell, and of the grave. And that's why the Apostle Paul could later on just exclaim, Death, where is your victory? Right? Because we know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We have been liberated from the fear of death. And so whatever it is that may happen in life, whatever it is that may happen to us, whatever it is that governments may do, whatever it is that people may do to us, We may not like it. We may protect ourselves as well we should. But there's one thing we don't have to fear. And that is death itself. When you think about what it must be like to die in the Lord, none of us have experienced that. But we can imagine, can't we? Can you imagine what it must be like when you are growing weaker and weaker and weaker? And maybe you're not even conscious anymore of what's going on around you. And yet you realize in your spirit, in your spirit, that there are beings gathered around you that are friendly. There are beings gathered around you that are guarding you and have your best interest at heart. And can you imagine at that moment when they say, It's time, servant of God. And they escort you out of that body, out of this world, Through outer space and into that celestial kingdom of God himself. Can you imagine what that must be like? You say, well, what if death happens suddenly? What if it happens unexpectedly? What if it happens when I'm in my prime? Can you imagine what it must be like? If you were a soldier, you're in a combat zone. What if you are in law enforcement? What if something happens like that? What if you're the victim of a violent crime or any of those things? Certainly we aren't ready for those kind of things. But we can rest in the hope that God is. And we can rest in the hope that He is with us. For He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And can you imagine what it's like to have those same angels around us that we have no idea about? And then when that moment of tragedy strikes and our life is taken from us, and our first question is, what happened? There they are saying man of God, woman of God, servant of God, perhaps they even call you by name and they say it's time and they ask you escort you out of the presence of the body and into the presence of the Lord. What a glorious thing it is. And I'll make this statement, there is no child of God in history under any circumstance that a second after they died they weren't filled with extreme joy And they would never want to come back to where we are now under the present circumstances. You see, this is liberation. When the Bible says that Jesus has freed us from sin, we are free from the bondage of sin and the wages of sin is death. So when you're free from sin, you're also free from the bondage that death may give you. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. We can celebrate not only the gospel, but our liberation. The gospel has become personal to us. I like this statement in here. He does not give aid to angels. Well, why would he give aid to us? It's called grace. The undeserved, unmerited favor of God something that he does not extend to angels he is extended to sinners like you and me and he breaks us free and breaks the chains that have held us and no longer are we controlled and manipulated by the fear of death in fact death is something that brings us great peace and comfort to know that we will be in the presence of the one who conquered death for us That's a worthy of an amen, isn't it? To think that God would do that for us. Thirdly, notice that we celebrate his ascension and his exaltation. It says, therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, coming down to earth, putting on an earth suit like we have. And why is that? Here's a purpose. That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God To make propitiation for the sins of the people. See, he had to become flesh in order to die, in order to bear our sin. But had he died and just remained in the grave, had his body decomposed, had we just a shrine to go to, had we just a tombstone to remember our Savior by, it would do little for us and nothing that would really matter. Because this verse tells us not only did he have to bleed and die, not only did he have to pay for our sins, but he has to become a high priest for us. A dead person can't become a high priest for us. That's the office of someone that is living. And the Bible tells us that Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, 40 days later, he ascended to be seated at the right hand of God the Father, that place of authority, that place of power. But when he went up there, the scripture says he took not the blood of bulls and goats, his own blood. And he put it on the mercy seat that is there in heaven as a once for all eternal sacrifice. The payment for our sins. And he as our high priest represents us. He is still in a body in heaven. There's a human being, a perfect human being with nail scarred hands that is representing you and loving you and helping you and defending you and praying for you in heaven today. Oh, I serve a risen Savior. But that next line says he's in the world today. Through the Holy Spirit, he is. But let me tell you, when you get technical about it, he's where he's supposed to be, at the right hand of God the Father today, and he is defending you and praying for you. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing to think about. And that's what these verses tell us. This is Jesus, no longer humiliated. No longer is he being tormented. No longer is he being shamed before Pilate or anyone else. He is seated on the throne... He has the royal crown on his head. He is there ruling and reigning. And his father has said to him, Sit down until I make your enemies your footstool. Waiting for that day when he will return and sit on the throne of his father David and rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years you see we see Jesus today exalted and glorified never to be put to an open shame never to suffer anything else again the exalted one but the exalted one doesn't just sit there doing nothing he is pleading our case He is praying for us. He knows the valley you're going to walk through. He knows the joys and He knows the heartaches. He knows the heights and He knows the depths of what you were going through. He knows the times when life is good and you feel good. He knows what it's like when you're going through things that make you feel terrible and awful in those times when you feel weak and you suffer pain he knows, he knows and he is there with you and he is pleading your cause and he is praying for you and seeing you through it what a great God we serve you see if Jesus had just been raised from the dead and just ministered in the temple of Jerusalem we would experience none of that But because He arose and because He ascended to His Father, He sent His Spirit to indwell and to live in those who believe. And so we are never out of the presence of God. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil because He is with us. That's because the Spirit of God has come. The Comforter has come. His power and presence in our life for anything we might face. But the risen Savior is at the right hand of God the Father, praying for us and helping us, which brings us to this last point. We celebrate not only because of the gospel. We celebrate not only because of our personal liberation. We celebrate not simply because Jesus has been exalted, but the last few verses are so precious. This risen, exalted, conquering King... Is doing what for us? Well, the Bible tells us, For in that he himself suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Did you know that whatever temptation the devil has prepared for you, whatever attack the demons of hell may use to harass you, to intimidate you, to crush you, to beat you down, to trip you up, Jesus is already aware and Jesus is the one who is giving you aid during that time Paul and Silas had been arrested illegally they had been beaten illegally because they were Roman soldiers and they had been put in the prison can you imagine the pain that they felt? can you imagine being chained up in the middle part of the prison when you're bleeding and and hurting and it's a dirty situation there's no comfort, there's no pain relief, nothing like that at all And then the prisoners are listening, and they go, what are those nuts doing? They're praying. Well, let's just see if their God can deliver them from this situation. And can you imagine as the prisoners said, well, what are they doing now? They're singing. And as they were singing hymns, to God, about God, and praising God. The joy of the Lord coming out of their hearts, even though their bodies were bruised and hurting, and even though their circumstances were dark, and even though they were alone in all of that, they really weren't alone, because Jesus is with them through the Holy Spirit, wasn't he? And the song was in their hearts, and they began to sing. And in Acts 16, you can read the rest of the story. What makes people do that? And it is because the presence of Christ as He gives aid to the suffering is real. And why is it so real? And how does Jesus know exactly what we need at the time that we need it? For in that He Himself has suffered. He knows loneliness. He knows betrayal. He knows pain. He knows isolation. He knows all of that. And the temptation that came to Jesus... was so real and so powerful. You see, you and I are tempted... and it doesn't take much to get us to fall into sin... whether it's mental sin or motivational sin... or whether it's actual sin that we commit in our actions. doesn't take much. doesn't take much. But the Son of God, when the devil came after Him... He threw everything He had... And he couldn't conquer Jesus. So Jesus is the victorious one. Who can say to you and me. Trust me. I know the way out of this. Because I am the way out of this. Trust me. I know how to conquer and how to overcome all of this. Because I've been there. And I have conquered it. And now my victory can become your victory. And my triumph can become your triumph, which is what we need, isn't it? To walk in a spirit of victory and in a spirit of triumph that we don't get through positive thinking, that we don't get through just crossing our fingers and hoping for the best, that no devotional will ever give you, that no church service will ever give you, that no pastor can ever give you. This is Jesus himself, the one who has suffered, the one who was crucified, the one who was tempted, and the one who is able to come to the aid of those who were tempted. Oh, do you know him today? And if you don't know him, will you trust him today? The Bible says that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Have you confessed him as Lord? Have you trusted in Him as the full payment for your sin? Have you surrendered to Him? Well, here's the good news. If you haven't, you can. And you can today and you can right now. And that's what we pray that you will do. If you have any questions about that, feel free to get a hold of us. You can go to our website at gracewayokc.org. You can call the church office. And you can uh, email us or whatever you need to do. And we'll be happy to share with you about that. But you probably know somebody who could explain this and make sure they take, a word, uh, take the Bible, the Word of God, and show you what it means to be saved. But now let me talk to those of you who are Christians. Hey, Christian, are you living in that kind of victory? Well, you're probably not if you're trying to just work it up yourself and you're trying to just follow a list of do's and a list of don'ts and you're just following a code of ethics or a moral code. But when you truly understand that Jesus is your only hope, and just as when you came to Him for salvation, you realized you had no other hope but Jesus, and you threw yourself completely and totally upon Him, trusting 100% in Him, can I remind you that the Bible says, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him? And have you left that total dependence upon Christ? Have you left that total faith in Jesus Christ? Did you just leave that behind and say, Well, I'm saved. Now the rest is up to me. No, it says here that He is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Why? Because He's been there. And He knows how to bring you into that victory. And that's what we pray that will happen. Because that's really what this Resurrection Sunday is all about. Celebrating the gospel, right? Celebrating the fact that we have been liberated celebrating the fact that Jesus has overcome and he's been exalted and he is victorious now and celebrating his loving kindness. He continues to love. He continues to forgive. He continues to restore. And he continues to conquer death, hell, and the grave through each and every person who is a believer. Every time a believer dies and escapes this body to go to heaven, he's conquered the grave one more time. Every time a believer dies with a word of faith upon their lips and in their heart, he has conquered death. And one of these days, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he's going to come back and there's going to be a trumpet sound and there's going to be a shout of the archangel. And even the very bodies that we inhabited, no matter how long or what condition they may be in, in, the, in the grave... Will be called out and made immortal because he is still conquering the grave. Because his victory is an eternal victory, an everlasting victory, an ever present victory. And that's really what Easter is all about. I'm sorry you can't get together with all of your family, but that changes nothing about what we just read. And I'm sorry that in this time of this virus going on, we all want to get out and we want life to return to normal. And we can't right now. I'm sorry. And I'm sad too. But it changes nothing about what we just read. And so when we talk about rejoicing in hope, that doesn't mean we rejoice because things are going well or because we feel good. It means we rejoice because Jesus is our conqueror. And I close with these words from Ron Owens. The cross is bare, the tomb is empty, but the throne is occupied. Can I say that again? The cross is bare, The tomb is empty. But praise God, the throne is occupied. And that's where Jesus is today. So set your mind on things above where Christ is. Because if you look around at everything in the world, nothing but depression and defeat awaits you. But when you look to Him, you'll see that what's over your head is under His feet. The cross is bare. The tomb is empty. And the throne, praise God, it is occupied. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. And let's have a word of prayer. And thank you again for tuning in and listening to us today. Heavenly Father, we thank you that when we look at this passage in Hebrews, that we see so much that matters so greatly. And I want to pray, Lord, for anybody, a man, a woman, a boy, or a girl, who doesn't know Christ as Savior, I pray, Lord, today that you are drawing them to you. You're giving them faith to believe, and they will embrace Christ and the good news of Jesus about his death, burial, and resurrection for their sins, and that they will confess him as Lord and trust in him. I also pray for believers who kind of think that maybe getting saved was what God did, but now the rest is up to me. Oh, please show us. That we are to live by faith and to walk by faith. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. And without faith it's impossible to please God. And so we're asking you Lord to increase our faith. And let us walk by faith. Knowing that you will help us. That you will be our life and our power and our strength every step of the way. And thank you that we no longer have to fear the devil's weapon. He's been disarmed on the cross. Because death no longer has a hold on us. Thank you that you are our conqueror and our liberator. And we pray this, Lord, rejoicing and celebrating not the circumstances of this holiday, but the facts of what Jesus has done for us. Hallelujah. To God be the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. And may the Lord bless you this day.